Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, I am joined by Mick Hughes. Mick is an exercise scientist and physiotherapist in Australia that specializes in ACL injuries. We often talk a lot about ACL reconstruction, but in this episode, we're going to focus on non-operative treatment. We're going to cover a wide range of topics, including if the ACL can heal, who potential candidates for non-operative treatment could be, and how we could rehabilitate these people. Mick has a ton of clinical experience to share, so it was really great chatting with him. Welcome to the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Reinold from MikeReinold.com. Hey, Mick, welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you taking some time out and us trying to coordinate this from literally across the world to uh, to get you on for an interview. So thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure, Mike. Always uh, great to talk with um, some people who've got uh, a strong passion for ACLs is what I do. So thanks for asking me to come on board. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, from somebody from afar that's been really enjoying some of the content that you're putting out there on your website, your social media presence, um, I, I've I've learned a ton from you over the last, you know, few years or so. And, you know, I just want to say a big thank you for, for putting that stuff out there because, you know, if it wasn't for people like you that are sharing all their experience, right, then, you know, we wouldn't keep growing. So, you know, really appreciate you taking the effort yeah. to do all that. Thank you. Yeah. Look, look, I mean, I, 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 I'm an avid sharer of I absolutely need to give credit to those great researchers and academics who are doing the work. Um, I'm just a, a, a lover of great research and trying to translate that research into clinical practice as soon as possible. So I think hopefully I've been able to bridge that gap a little bit and, and share these these wonderful research papers in ACL land. So yeah, that's um it's been nice to be able to sort of help help use that help that on social media. Yeah, that's great. And, and, you know, I mean, I think we, you know, we need people like yourself that can like bridge that gap, uh, that, 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 uh, gap between, um, the clinical research and clinical implications. So meaning like, I, you know, uh, how do I take this data and what does it do to, to change my everyday patterns that I do with people? And that's exactly what you're doing. I think that's why I'm drawn to your educational content so much and your website and your, your master classes, just because it is very research-based, but clinical implications-based. I really love it. Yep. Yeah, no, thanks. It's, uh, yeah, hopefully I've got the balance right. So, and hopefully I'm, I'm actually doing a, a service, a great service to the, to the academics who actually do the hard yards and hopefully I've interpreted their data well and applied it, um, in a, in a good way. That's uh, benefiting us all. So yeah, no, I appreciate the kind words. I like it. Well said. So, um, so I, you know, I always, I like to ask this question because it, we, we start a podcast like this and clearly you and I have a, a topic that we want to talk about, but did you ever think like, you know, flashback several years, did you ever think you were going to be so heavily focused on ACLs and that it's almost like your life revolves around ACLs? It seems like now, did, did you ever think that was going to happen? No, I got, I honestly thought, because I actually really sucked at ACL rehab management early on in my career. When I reflect on my early two or three years as a clinician, I, I thought I knew a lot and I tried to take it on, tried to take patients on board and I thought I was doing a good job. And, and probably to be fair at the time, the research really, the mountains of research and the, um, the high quality research that we now, now know, you know, 10, 15 years ago, probably wasn't sprinkled. Yeah, it wasn't out there in a practical sense. And you know, how we managed return to sport, especially it was really time-based um, back then. And so I was just sort of doing as best as I could. And and unfortunately, I, I know of at least probably half a dozen patients I saw under my watch that re-ruptured their graphs in the first one or two years post-op. Um, and, and taking that time to reflect, and obviously as the years go on and, and my experience grew and research evolved as well, started to know that certainly criteria-driven rehab is a far better way to go. With uh, especially return to training, return to sport management. So yeah, I, I went, once that literature started to evolve, I really started to live and breathe ACL uh, rehab and return to sport management, and and and, and certainly try to change my clinical practice to improve it to a, a much better standard. So yeah, look, I, I yeah, ten years ago, I didn't really think I'd be sort of here I am. 
Um, but I'm glad I am because I've certainly learned a lot along the way and um, probably will continue to learn more over the next 10 years too. And my practice will evolve in 10 years' time as uh, hopefully in a better place than even what it is now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a great ride. I, I can't wait to have you on the podcast again in 10 years, assuming I'm still doing this yeah. podcast in 10 years, in, in us talking about how bad we thought our ACL rehab was 10 years ago. Even even well, today, we're I saying we like it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, to, to me, that that's always the sign of, of, you know, that's how everything develops, like great innovation develops. It's we have a problem and, you know, you put your head down and you you solve that problem. And I love that about about hearing that from you is that you you felt like you were a little bit weak, maybe in ACL. So you you put your head down and said i'm i'm going to i'm going to dive head deep into this and become the best ACL clinician i can and then over yep. time the reps and the experience that helped produce this this new level of judgment that that only experience could take so that's awesome man it's great to hear yep yeah the other the other thing that really was a catalyst was i i was invested into a uh, prof- a semi professional ath- a uh, bunch of athletes in a, in a sporting code in here in Australia, which is a, a thought called netball, which is a bit foreign to most of your American uh, listeners. It basically, if you think about basketball, uh, but without backboards, and you've got seven players on the court, um, it's a very female-driven sport. And the only way of moving the ball up the court is passing. You can't dribble it. You can't you know, dodge people. It's basically jump, catch, pass, and then nothing but net swishes to, to really? score points. So, you know, look, it's, it's such an intense game. And I was the head physio for this group of elite athletes who were incredible, you know, female athletes, um, but a, a sport that has got notorious, notoriously high rates of ACL injury. So, you know, I basically took it upon myself to learn everything I knew, everything that I could learn about ACL injury, both injury prevention, but unfortunately we did cop a couple of ACLs with our players, um, you know, how – was I going to rehabilitate them back to you know a high professional standard as well? So yeah, yeah. yeah there's nothing like being thrown in the deep end and being yeah, told to sink or swim. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was great. <laughs> that sounds like a petri dish of potential uh, people yep. to, uh, to to study there. I mean, all the pivot cutting and uh, jumping on court that's that, that's crazy. So. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, when, when we talk ACL, I think in the majority of times you hear people talk about ACL, we're always talking about, um, reconstruction. What do we do after return to sports been a huge topic the last few years? Um, even injury prevention is a pretty popular topic, but one thing we very rarely hear about and people just don't talk about enough is non-operative treatment for an acute ACL tear. Yeah. So you just tore your, your ACL. It's almost, I, I don't know. I think the majority of people would assume you, you need surgery, right? I, I think I think if we did a poll, yep. I think it would be it would be very high. So, um, you know, very curious. Like, yep. why why do you think that is? Why why do you think people don't don't think about non operative treatment for ACLs? Yeah, it's, I think it's probably geographical in that decision. Yeah, part of that conversation is probably depends on where you live. Um, yeah, probably the different healthcare systems that you, you live in. Like, if you go to parts of Europe and parts of Scandinavia, like the the default is rehab first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their reconstruction rates over in parts of Europe are only 50%, whereas here in Australia, over in the States, reconstruction rates are as high as 90, 95%. Right, for um, sure. So definitely it is a geographical um, problem, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's that probably largely is part of that conversation. And, and yeah, so I think that's probably a big part of that conversation is, you know, where you did your training, where you live, what the is geared towards. I think definitely here in Australia, and I hope we're not speaking out of line to you, know, you guys in America, but it's definitely a, a case of here in Australia. It's it's what we've always done, so we're gonna we're gonna keep on reconstructing because um, we know that's probably got a a safer bet, I guess, in terms of the end result. Um, definitely the non rehab or the non operative slash rehab alone path has got a lot of grey area to it, like with the outcomes. Um, you know, we don't know. If um, the person will have a successful outcome and return back to pivoting, twisting sports without an ACL, we don't know if the very well if the risk of re-injuring other parts of the knee um, is going to be worse compared to a reconstruction. Like that, that's very debatable, um, especially when we talk about maybe some of the recent research coming out later. Um, but yeah, look, there's there's a lot of un- unknowns with that uh, rehab alone. Um, also, that's probably countered by the fact there's only been two randomized control trials ever done, um, <laughs> prospective right. randomized control trials yeah. that actually set out to answer, um, is there a better course of action for the 
acutely injured ACL patient, you know, early, either early rate, early reconstruction or having the option for a delayed reconstruction. Um, right. So with all the papers and research that's published every month in ACL land, only two papers have ever, ever been published to this date that have tried to answer that question out of the hundreds of thousands of ACL papers out there. So yeah. that, that's probably part of, the, part, yeah. part of that problem. We don't, we don't have subjects, right? We don't have enough people that are going through the non-operative uh, path to be able to do a study like that. So that makes complete sense that, of why we have that lack of, of quality research in that area. You know, it almost seems like yep. to me, at least in the United States here with us, that I, I don't want to say it's an impatience because I, I don't know if that's quite, kind of the right thing. But I, I feel like once a young athlete tears their ACL between the athlete, the parent, the coach, the surgeon, the the physio team, yep. you put all those people together, everyone just wants to get them back as fast as they can. And, and yeah, they don't, yeah. they don't want to delay and they just, they just know that, Hey, I, you know, surgery is going to be, you know, successful, hopefully. So, you know, instead of taking yeah. that chance and missing three years of your, of your four year high school career, you know, it's probably yes. not, yeah. not worth it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It, it's a daunting and it's thing. Definitely hard. Exactly. And I can imagine it's much harder for the clinician in America because of the high school pathway systems to college and then the college systems potentially through to professional contracts, you know, NFL, NBA, baseball, ice hockey, major league soccer, all the, all the big, big, big sports. Australia definitely doesn't have probably that same elite driven pathway. Um, we, we've definitely got, you know, elite sporting schools that sort of uh, are nurseries to, the professional codes here in Australia, but it's definitely not so, so geared in that way. And I, I could understand absolutely um, that time pressure demand um, for the high school athlete who's probably only got one or two years to sort of prove, potentially prove to, you know, college scouts. And then obviously college students to prove to, you know, professional scouts, like how, what their worth is and how talented they are and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, a missed season potentially is, could be could be harmful to their right. long term career. So I kind of absolutely um, empathise with the clinicians there, and I absolutely empathise with the paediatric, you know, like the the young patients who have injured themselves that are still skeletally immature. Like I deal largely with adults. Um, I, my clinical practice is largely geared towards the adult population who have re, you know injured their ACL as an adult. I, I very rarely see these days any you know, young 12, 13, 14 year old kid, and Man, that is a tough decision. You know, that's a tough conversation. And it almost just doesn't get spoken about a non-operative pathway for these young kids. But yeah, yeah, look, it's it's definitely a, a hard treatment choice. But importantly, I think that's probably the whole point of this chat, right, is to, to probably you know, raise some awareness that there is a treatment choice out there. It's just whether or not you choose to take it or not. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, um, it, and sometimes yeah. too, I, I think what we do is we'll take the information, the data, and even those those circumstances that we just talked about in that you would have for maybe a 16-year-old athlete. And we would apply that to the 26-year-old adult that's just doing recreational sports and give them the same, yep. you know, like clinical algorithm in our head where we say, no, nah, just get surgery yep. right away, where maybe that's not the case. I yep. mean, and you just, I think you spoke very well as as to the problem and the system that we have here in the United States with getting people into college and professional sports. But when you start applying that to everybody, I think that's when we start running yeah. into trouble. So, I mean, like you said, it's, yeah. it's about awareness. We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episode. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, MikeRinald.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my inner circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeRinald.com to get started. Thanks so much. Yep. Yeah, well, the first conversation I have with anyone that's acutely walking in, you know, with a, with a suspected ACL or a confirmed ACL is, you know, what, what are your goals? Where, where are we going with this? You know, where, where do you want to be in 12 months time? You know, are you sort of knocking on the door of a, a scholarship program or are you being sort of earmarked as a future, you know, MVP or, you know, professional sporting player, or are you, are you just playing sport just for kicks? Yeah. Um, cause if you're just playing for kicks and a bit, a bit of fun, Hey, let's sit on this, let's sit on this uh, injury that you've got for three months. Let's take a breath. 
let's take the emotion out of it. Cause that first month especially is very emotional. Um, you often make very emotional decisions when you just want to get back to sport, but I really encourage, um, those that absolutely are justified, you know, those that are dealing with a repairable meniscus or, or fracture, um, that often need early reconstruction. Um, those that have got indications for a aid reconstruction at the very least, I'm, I'm having conversations with them to say, let's wait three months, let's take, take breath, let's do some really good rehabilitation, um, and then let's let's get to that three month mark and and see see where you're at, and then see where your headspace is at, and see where you want to go with this. Because if you're feeling good after three months, then I, I think there's a strong argument there, and not only feeling good but feeling stable, um, and your rehab's been really good. Um, let's continue this ride. Um, and let's see where, where you go with it. Uh, yeah, I like that. We might have got to skip ahead some of the questions, but <laughs> no, no, that's great. I mean, I mean, I like that because that's it's it's taking a practical approach from an emotional situation. And a lot of times, I feel like we're the ones that have to help guide the people through that path. We have to help yep. them say, "Let's take a deep breath," just like you said. Let's take a step back. Let's take a deep breath, and let's think this through here. And and I think almost. Uh, you know, sometimes we serve as almost these these uh, guides that have to bring people through this decision making process. Sometimes I think it's important that that PTs and physios understand this. So this is important. So, um, yeah. well, so yeah. here's a here's a big question. If we're going to even do this, does the ACL itself even have the capacity to heal? Is that on the table, or are we just hoping yeah. that their secondary stabilizers pick up? What's what's the research saying? And and by the way, I think you saw this on Instagram. I I posted these. Uh, uh, these questions on Instagram last week to get yep. some poll. And I was yep. amazed at how many people said, yes, the ACL can heal. And yes, we should be doing non-op ACL. I was amazed that the majority yep. said that. So uh, maybe a little selection yeah, bias yeah. between my followers, but but what do you think? Can the ACL heal? <laughs> what is the research showing? Yeah, and it can. And, and there, there is certainly some emerging evidence. Like probably the strongest research we got at the moment is just coming on the back of a reanalysis of the the famous Cannon trial, um, which probably is a, you know, a foundation paper to a lot of my clinical practice. Um, so for those that aren't aware of the Cannon trial, basically they uh, ran, it was a prospective uh, randomized controlled trial. They divided the 120 people into two groups of 60. One group of 60 had um, an early reconstruction. The other group of 60 had the option well, did rehab first. The option of a delayed reconstruction at at five years post um, entry into the trial, fifty percent of the delayed reconstruction group was still rehabbing alone, um, and and had equal outcomes across the board compared to early reconstruction versus delayed reconstruction. So that, that's definitely one of the foundation papers that's allowed us to sort of make some better decisions. But they actually did a reanalysis of that group. Um, so at the two-year mark, they went through and looked at the MRIs because they did serial MRIs over the period of time too. And they found that 56% of the rehab alone group, so the group that was doing well, which probably justifies why they were doing well, is because 56% of them had morphological healing of the ACL um, tissue. So that was massive. Like that's been a huge, huge yeah. change. Like, you know, that, it's a huge evidence. Uh, well, a huge shot in the arm for the evidence that the ACL can heal. Um, it'd be wonderful to know if any of those early, um, patients, well, you can't, afford, we won't find out, but it would have been wonderful to know if any of those early reconstruction patients were going to be healers as well. Um, right. but we would never, we never found out. It's probably a fair argument to say those that elected for a delayed reconstruction probably weren't healing and were having some degree of instability or symptoms, which led them down that reconstruction path. Um, so yeah, 56% of those, um, yeah, in the rehab alone group, we're, we're healing at two years. There's also two, some probably not strong papers out there. Um, so longitudinal study, not longitudinal study, sorry, but um, retrospective um, studies on um, uh, a case series of patients. So the strength of the literature isn't there, we, we, but we have seen healing in other papers. So Ahara and Kawano was a Japanese study. Um, they, they found um, healing. Um, in, in a certain subset of ACL patients, they had over a hundred patients over a two-year window. They took serial MRIs. Um, from memory, they had about, oh, please don't quote me on this, but it's about 40 percent of their group um started to show healing. 
Um, and they found that it was kind of like a subset of ACL tears. So you imagine, I think, you know, back in the, I used to imagine all ACL tears basically were all mid-substance tears that basically exploded in the mid middle part of the ACL. But we've actually started to discover slowly over time that there's, there are subtypes of ACL tears. So you, you do get those mid-substance tears that basically split and, and cut in half. But we're actually seeing the emergence of some proximal, um, almost like avulsion type tears from, um, the proximal attachment of, of the fed, of, of the ACL of, uh, from its femoral attachment. And, and they, they found in that, uh, Ahara and Kawano paper that, um, the people that were more likely to heal were those proximal, almost like a bulging type injury. So the ACL itself was largely intact still, and it, but it was healing either on the footprint of where it tore off or very nearby. Um, it had a couple of limitations there, um, into that paper, but it, it was, I didn't show some, um, that was another paper that showed some evidence there. And there's another one by Costa Paz, uh, which showed healing in, in about 30 odd, uh, it's about 20 or 30 odd patients there as well. So it, to, to say that the ACL can't heal, um, is certainly, a, a it's a false statement. Um, we probably just don't know yet who these lucky people are. Uh, are they young? Are they old? Are they male? Are they female? Are they, you know, pivoting, hard pivoting, cutting sports? You know, are they sort of more gentler, um, ACL tears? Um, oh, speaking of an orthopedic surgeon, he said that the people that he's come across that have healed are, are more of those traumatic injuries with a lot of bone bruising, um, right. a lot of concomitant injuries. So a large, you know, big grade three MCL tear as well. Um, so, yeah, all that bleeding and all that inflammatory sort of, you know, juicing the knee and somehow later, you know, scar network between the endpoints and it's, it's created some healing potential there. So that, that's certainly, um, you know, a, a potential there. If you see someone with a big bone bruise, a big effusion and hemarthrosis early, you know, maybe these are the people that are lucky. Um, so yeah, we, we just don't know quite yet. I think that li- that's the exciting literature. I can't wait to see evolve over these next five or 10 years is hopefully a, a better understanding of who these lucky healers are. But I've seen many cases in my own clinical practice of these people healing. Um, and it's just, it's a really nice thing to, to see and to rehabilitate these people. Um, but yeah, I never promise it's going to happen. I think that's important. For all. <laughs> so right. the, the chances of this happening are probably less than 10%, maybe even right. less than 5%, but hey, let's roll the dice. We're not under time pressure. Let's right. you know rehab sensibly over the next three months. Let's reevaluate clinically at three months. You know, Lockman pivot. If it all looks and feels better, hey, let's get another MRI on this and see if you're in these early stages of healing. Because if if you're healing at three months, then that naturally should strengthen up and mature and evolve over the next you know twelve twelve months. So yeah, yeah. It, it can happen. It's pretty interesting, too. And I think we what we needed was this, right? We needed just a glimmer of hope that this could happen. And then now we can dive in again and and really research this. And I I like how you brought up it's, you know, the different types of tears, how traumatic it was, the other types of injuries. But probably more importantly is the location of the tear and, you know, proximal, distal, mid-substance, the blood supply, the healing supply of that. Um, You know, once we once we identify that, let's say half of the people may have the potential of of healing, then great. We can now study maybe how do we maximize that? Maybe it's, you know, proximal tears are better than mid-substance and we can start this clinical decision making tree. I, I, this is the first step that we're witnessing right now. And instead of saying you have a very minimal chance, now we say like, well, that chance may just depend on what type of tear you have and what a great place to be in. And we haven't even, you know, that's, you know, probably beyond the topic of today's podcast, but like the whole concept of orthobiologics and internal bracing. I mean, there's, there's, there's so, there's so much future here that, um, you know, it's, it's a good niche to specialize in ACLs right now. (laughs) It's an exciting, (laughs) definitely an exciting field. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to see what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So it can heal. We don't, we're not a hundred percent sure why, but we're starting to get some clues as to maybe why that might help a little bit. Um, let's talk about some of the research on non-operative rehabilitation. Again, you, you alluded to this, there isn't a ton out there, but there is some out there. Um, what, what have they shown in, in, in detail here? I know you kind of like glanced over quickly, but so far, what do we know clinically that, that, that can happen with non-operative rehab? How are the outcomes of the letter? Yeah. So the, the probably if we, I probably, and I'll, I'll lean more into what, what 
the two best papers are there are to you know talk sort of talk with and talk to um definitely the canon trial and the most recent compare trial um the canon trial's got two year follow up and five year follow up um their their primary outcome measure was uh, the coos four um questionnaire so one that's looking at you know the you know symptoms and quality of life and return to sport yeah, or sports and leisure and that kind of stuff um but they also looked at radiographic OA changes, return to pre-activity uh, levels of sport, number of meniscus surgeries performed. Uh, they were probably the, the key sort of secondary measures they also looked at. Um, com- I guess comparatively, the COMPARE trial only re- sort of really focused on the IKDC questionnaire at two years and it hasn't had five-year follow-up yet. It's only in its infancy. So so basically, there were no differences between any of the the groups when we looked at the Canon trial that had early ACL recovest delayed versus being the rehab alone. Um, for any of the the primary outcome measures, as I mentioned, or the secondary outcome measures. So we know that, you know, if you go down a rehab alone path, you know, you, at five years, you're likely to have just as good as outcome as those that had a delayed reconstruction or an early reconstruction. But I think the important thing to note out of that is no significant difference doesn't mean return to normal. So right which is a huge, huge thing for us to understand because these people, even at five years, they all had impaired coup scores. So on average, right. their scores were still sitting on 80, but all three groups were sitting on about 80 or a touch below, which means they're still getting treatment for their knee. Um, right. you know, they're seeing a physio occasionally or a physical therapist or you know, going to the gym or you know, rehabilitating still or seeing their GP or their doctor for symptoms. So it's still not perfect five years down the track. Um, they're still, But the other thing was, um, by five years, twenty percent were still in their pre-injury levels of activity. Um, so all three groups were still, but only twenty percent. So you'd expect, yeah, you know, five years down the track, and these the, upon entry of the trial too, they were all on average about twenty-six years of age. So they're a bit older than probably what most people would sustain an ACL injury. I think you know the vast majority of males are. It's happening between you know nineteen and you know sixteen and to 20, 22, that's kind of like that age bracket. Females are a bit younger, 14 to 19. So, um, you know, like five years down the track, you'd sort of still expect that you, if you had an ACL reconstruction, um, you'd be still participating in your pre-injury levels of sport or you'd hope to be at the age of right. 30, 31. So right. by five years down the track, only 20% were back in their pre-injury levels of sport. So de- definitely that's probably the strength of literature there. Look, rehab in itself, I guess if we're sort of nutting down what that rehab looks like, look, it doesn't look any different to a really good strength and conditioning program. Right. Um, you know, like, yeah. just because this is the thing that really, I guess, irritates me as a clinician and I see so much rubbish on, um, you know, social media, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Like, there's just so much distraction and so much rubbish exercise out there that people are doing. And I know it's just a very small snapshot of that person's whole entire program, but I just, there's, there's just so much underloading um, ineffective rubbish out there that people just need really good, high quality strength and conditioning that's got progressive overload that in that ticks off all the bread and butter stuff. You know, squats, right. leg press, lunges, knee extensions, hamstring curls, calf raises, but with adequate load. You know, like seventy percent one RM, eighty percent one RM, progressively overloaded. Like it's not rocket science. <laughs> just, just once that knee is quiet, so that when the knee is settled and it's got a little effusion, it's got full range of movement, it's got no quad slag. That knee is ready for some load, even if right. it's gen- even if it's gentle load, three lots of fifteen kind of stuff for the first couple of weeks. But once that knee is proven, it can tolerate even a, a little bit of light and easy load. Start loading it for goodness' sake, <laughs> like it's right. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's um. But yeah, look, there's no fancy tricks to a really good um, non-operative rehab um, approach. You know, it looks very, very similar to what an ACL reconstruction rehab should look like in the early stages. Although you don't have to worry about the harvest tissue. That's the beauty of it. Just right. get in there and start, you know, loading this person up and getting their knee strong. Yeah, I mean, and it's, I mean, that to me is even more criteria based than anything else because the, the timelines are, have almost evaporated when you do it that way. And it's just once the knee settles down, load. I think that's yep. that's a great way of thinking of it. Uh, but you yeah. know, like you said, that's not uh, that's not exciting on Instagram though, right? It's not exciting <laughs> to see somebody do a leg press on Instagram. That's kind of boring, right? Yep. <laughs> and that's so, right. yeah, that's yeah, where, and, that's and, where the magic happens. <laughs> and, and and you know, and and I, that's where I feel for some of these young clinicians that um, are that actually think Instagram. 
Instagram is a place to learn, which it, it, I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's a place to kind of share and think, but maybe not be your primary learning. But like, I, I think people will just, if you were to learn basically on it, on, on solely on Instagram, I think you would do so much fluff that yep. it would be, it would be ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you have to be able to see that you need to work with a good mentor, like somebody like yourself or, you know, or go through your educational products that you sell, right. That that's like, Hey, the, yep. here's my ACL masterclass because you need to understand that yes there is some some glitz and glamour that we put on social media sometimes but the bread and yep. butter is basic yep. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know? it's so yep. boring right and 100%. and you know, and I don't know what it's like in other parts of, of the world, like Australia and stuff, but I know in the United States, like, right, like phys- a lot of physio clinics are just not set up to load, right? They don't yes. have the equipment. Yep. They're they're just baseline stuff. You, you know, you have an ankle weight is your max strength at a lot of places. That That's, that's challenging. And then people yep. either don't love going to the gym. Like I know a ton of athletes that absolutely hate going to the gym, which blows yep. my mind still, but they either yep. don't go to the gym or they're not being told they need to go to the gym or yes. they... Or they're not being, you know, they're not giving any advice on how to navigate the gym. So, yep. man, there's 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 so many potential uh, points throughout that process where the person could accidentally fall off. And we yep. wonder why people are so weak after surgery. We wonder why return to sports getting more and more delayed and, and everything. It's yep. there's so many opportunities to have somebody drop off the face of the planet and we don't get to see yep. them anymore. It's it's really it's really disappointing. Yep. Yep, I agree on all points, and yeah, I think more, more. Um, I guess the the more clinics can look a bit more like a, um, you know, at least a person training training studio it doesn't have to look like a gold's gym or you know something you know crazy like a CrossFit gym or something like that. But it, the more it can start to look like at least a personal training studio, um, right. the 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 better we'll all be, um, right. especially from a physiotherapy point of view. <laughs> yeah, we we always say at Champion, one of our our things when we built Champion was we wanted to build a gym and add PT to it. Um, we, what, you know, we see all the time, you know, you're in an office building with drop ceilings and, uh, an old PT clinic with like a high, high low table, maybe some parallel bars. And then let's put a squat rack in the corner. (laughs) Like, 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 I, I don't, I I just, I feel like the person's not going to really be, be motivated to really, uh, to, to get after it. It's, it's, yeah, I like that. Make your PT clinic look like a personal training studio. I think that's a, that's a great way of thinking. And that's, geez, that's for, that's for every diagnosis, right? I mean, every, everybody would benefit from that. So, yeah. Awesome. So, all right. So I think we're starting to get here and I've, I've heard you talk about this a little bit here. So what, what do you think right now when, when somebody comes to you, who is the perfect candidate for non-operative care and who do you say, no, yeah. let's, let's talk about surgery actually right away. Like how yeah, do you make yeah. that decision? Yeah. So I'll probably, I mean, I always give people the choice ultimately, like, but I think I, I still, despite the evidence really being a bit murky in regards to the risk of worsening the knee um, with meniscus injuries and cartilage injuries, despite you know a lot of orthopedic surgeons saying it will happen, or experienced physio, older physiotherapists saying if this person plays basketball or football without an ACL, they're going to rip off their cartilage and bucket handle tear their meniscus. It's a guarantee, like it's not a guarantee, but right. it, it, I think there's always that risk, right? So. Even right. if it's one person, like one 16-year-old kid who goes back to sport, pivoting sport, that's training two or three times a week, level one, cutting, pivoting, twisting sport, you know, American football, basketball, whatever sport it is, like, I don't sleep well at night with that kid going right. back to sport without an ACL. Look, it may right. not happen, but the risk of it happening is probably a little bit more um, right. compared to, to that athlete who's got no frontal lobe, who's got no brakes. Right. Who's got and, no and, yeah. and the implications of that secondary injury are huge. Yeah. So huge. if you if you do have a bucket handle tear, you do have a huge bone bruise that you get because you do that. that that's not just yeah. oh well, no big deal. Okay, let's have surgery. Yeah. That could yeah. have significant implications. I think that's yeah. part of the issue. Yeah. And to have a sixteen year old kid who have that really and, and have an irreparable, like to go from having right. a pretty clean Right. Happy knee with an ACL deficiency to that knee, and then all of a sudden they're having a, a ir- like a meniscus tear that the surgeon can't fix. Right, plus a big bone bruise that's just adding you know a repeated trauma to that injury site. Like that, that's the catalyst to to ten years where in ten years time that knee does not look the same. Right, it, and it doesn't look like anything like the other knee. 
Right. And now that, that kid is now 26, 27 and not looking great. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Gets to his forties. <laughs> yeah. Gets yeah. to his forties and probably needs a uni compartment, you know, replacement at least. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, like it, that's, that's hard. That's a hard decision. And I, don't yeah. like making that decision. And they're, they're the people that I'd lean more into. You know, look, look there are risks with surgery. There are 100% risks with surgery, but I'd probably sleep better or, better at night knowing that we're getting a reconstruction. We're achieving some stability. Sure. Like you've got a 20, 30% risk of re rupturing this graft um, right. when you go back to sport in the next year or two. You know, <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah. You know, right. These are the conversations we've got to have too, right? Like you just, you can't, reconstruction isn't perfect. Um, right. But if these people are unwilling to change their path and they are unwilling to change their sport and their career choices and where they want to go into the future, then I think of all the options that you lay down, reconstruction is probably still the best choice for that young level one pivoting, twisting sport athlete. Right. Um, it, some people it, might it, disagree with me, but that's probably where I sleep comfortably at night. Right. Um, the... The rehab alone pathway is certainly a bit more of the older athlete, even someone who's young, like 21, 22, but doesn't want to go down chasing that career, that professional dream of representing their country or playing NBA or being, you know, the MVP of the Super Bowl or whatever it may be. So I, they, those people who have just got time on their side and there's no urgency for surgery or they're not getting paid to train or play, they're the ones I'm saying, look, Let's just sit on this for three months. Let's rehabilitate. Let's see where we go. Um, and let's, and look, even if you're not healed, is your knee still feeling really good? You know, like, you know, if, yes, you've got an instability there, but are you able to cope or adapt um, and modify your life without an ACL? Um, and are you willing to slow down, you know, some of those choices? Right. And if they are sort of answering all those questions, like, yeah, let's, let's rehabilitate first and, and see where you go. Cause you can always have, a reconstruction later if you don't like the way the knee feels. Right. And, and, and these probably people are probably less likely to have these really significant secondary injuries. If they do feel unstable from time to time that, you know, their knee starts to feel a bit gross or, you know, it feels a little bit unstable from time to time. They probably aren't likely to worsen their knee significantly compared to that 16, 17 hard cutting pivoting athlete that, you know, has, has the risk yeah. of making a significant secondary injury. Okay, it, 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 it makes sense. And and as any experienced clinician will tell you, I've seen it. And when you do see it, it's heartbreaking, right? You see, yes. you know, that young, that young girl that wasn't that bad and um, yep. all of a sudden have a huge meniscus tear that is going to impact her life for forever. I mean, that's, yep. it, it's terrible. And it's, it's, you know, we always talk about the risk versus reward. I, I, I think this is one of those situations you have to also talk about the risk versus the punishment maybe, right? Yes, it's, yes. it's not just the reward, but what's the punishment no, if, this, if this goes poorly? That's <laughs> right. right. It's not a great, great way. And look, I was on the other hand, I was on the other side of that as well. Like in COVID, I, I was uh, managing a, a young guy. He was, well, not, he wasn't that young. He was sort of late twenties, early thirties, but he was trying to rehabilitate alone and, and just in the midst of all the, so in Melbourne, not sure if he was sort of aware of all the news, but we basically locked down the city for two years straight. Yeah. Um, and you know, we had very tight restrictions on our gym use and exercise use and rehab. So I had a guy who I started rehab alone first before our series of lockdowns. And so he was doing some rehab at home. He just landed awkwardly with a box jump and, and tore his bucket, did a puck bucket handle meniscus tear and end up having to get a, um, he got a repair. Luckily enough, the surgeon was able to stitch it back, um, stick it back down. Um, but yeah, it could have been a significantly worse outcome. So, you know, I've, I've, I've lived that experience as, as a, you know, physio rehabbing people without an ACL and it makes you feel awful when you hear these stories. Yeah. And, and I've been lucky enough to not have a significant, outcome to date um who knows what the future will hold but i think importantly we always have these discussions of risks of what we're trying to do you know risks for rewards of you know surgery versus non-surgery you know the risk of development of oaid over time the you know all these kind of things we just need to have really frank and open honest discussions but also importantly include the orthopedic surgeon and the sports doctor and the coaches and the parents and you know i think where people are run into problems with um, is that they basically shielded the patient away from the other health network. And I think it's absolutely vital we include everyone right. uh, to the table for a, a really good chat about where we go with this particular patient or athlete. For sure. Makes sense. So I, I, don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing here is we, it's almost like we have a sliding scale, 
right? And for for a bunch of different variables. So age, activity level, uh, the type of sport. Is it, uh, you know, just a straight plane sport? Is it a pivoting, cutting? Is it jumping? Is it a court sport, a field sport? We have all these sliding scales that, you know, the more of those scales that slide in one direction, the more you're probably, probably the right decision to have ACL reconstruction. Yeah. Uh, yep. But for those people that maybe they're younger, I mean, uh, older, excuse me, maybe they're, they're older, they're less active. They're totally fine. Just saying, you know, all I want to do is, um, you know, ride my bike and swim. And, yeah. and that, those types of things, those are the people that maybe, maybe we should focus on, you know, trying some yeah. non-operative care with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, I mean, and funnily enough, like I, I uh, had the, I've, I've just started I'm two weeks post op um, reconstruction rehabbing a 67 year old lady. Nice, who, wow. Who taught, yes, yeah, like so she tore her ACL over 12 months ago, and our, our rehab just it, she kept on having instability despite having really good rehab, <laughs> and it got to the point where she goes, you know what? Like I just I'm always feeling like I'm going to fall over. I was like, fine, we've. If that's the case, and we've basically exhausted all your rehab options, and you're feeling this way, and she's a fit sixty-seven, she's you know yeah. she's not a you know she's not a couch potato. She likes to go out and hike, yeah. and swim and bike ride, and do these things. It's like, well, look, if we're getting to this point all the time, then maybe reconstruction is your choice. It's not right. the choice for most sixty-seven-year-olds, but for you, it, it's probably going to have a great result for you. Right. Um, so yeah, <laughs> wow. look, it's yeah, yeah my, my first ever, um, certainly <laughs> oldest, oldest ACL reco patient. <laughs> Wait, what did she, she do for a graft? Uh, she had a hamstring graft. And then, uh, yeah, autograph, autograph as well. Autograph good as well. For, so good was, for her. Good for her. Wasn't, yeah. Wasn't the allograft. I was suspecting it was wow. going to be an allograft. But yeah, yeah, yeah she went yeah. autograft hamstring. And yeah, she's doing yeah. well. So far. All right. So th- this might be the most telling question of all here. Okay. So tomorrow, no offense, no, knock on wood, you yep. tear your ACL. What are you doing? Me, all of it. Uh, I'm I'm rehabbing for three months and and hoping I'm going to be heal. I'm going to be a right. healer. Um, right. Well, yeah. Look, I mean that's that's just me. Like I'm also too. I'm just a walker. I'm a hiker. I'm a cyclist. You know, like I cycle. I've got five. You know, seven year old kid and a five year old kid, and they're not super active yet. So I'd certainly see if I could be one of these lucky healers. Um, yeah. What about you, Mike? What would you do? Yeah, well, I do think you're at an advantage though, because I think you're not going to do anything silly during that time frame, right? You know, I I think, I think, you know, a little bit better and it's not that the the other people don't, it's just, I think they're not thinking of it as much and like, oh, I didn't realize that was a pivot. Like, yeah, no, that was a pivot. You can't, you can't just because you, you can't play tennis doesn't mean you can't play pickleball, right? Like, of course they're, they're, they're similar, but, um, but yeah, I, I I think you would. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I, I think I would probably do it. I probably wouldn't be in a, a, a huge rush, but yeah. I think I would do it because I, I am, um, I'm one of the rare people I think that think about the future, right? Like, I feel like everybody's yeah. just focused on today, but for me, yeah. I'm like, I, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to limit, like, as I get older, I don't want to limit what I might do. Um, yeah. I'd, pr- I'd I, I, for the first time in my life, I'm starting to shift away from patellar tendon and maybe think hamstring for myself. Though. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I was always a patellar tendon guy, but I'm like, wow, my hamstrings already stink now. Yeah. Maybe they're not going to get any worse. Right. <laughs> but, That's it. You're not going to be doing any holler speed running anytime soon, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I thought, I thought that was, that was awesome. So, uh, well, so Mick, that, that was amazing. Great, great conversation. Great stuff on, on not operative. Uh, I I think more importantly, the future is bright and this is, we're only going to get better at this. We're going to have a higher percentage of people that heal. We're going to have the ability to hopefully, you know, narrow that down to help them. And then heck, maybe even have some cool things to help facilitate that with some orthobiologics and stuff like that. So, you know, the, the future is bright. I like your approach. I like your thought process of, 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 uh, you know, given that three month time frame, just trying to do the best we can. I, I think that yeah. was awesome. No, no, so, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. And, uh, yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, it's nice hearing different perspectives from people all around the world too. So it's nice. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing your experiences too, Mike. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and, and you, again, you think about it, there's, there's, there's decision-making process based on the the injury so your ligament well, how does your ligament look and you as a person what is, what's your activity level that sort of thing but three is yeah. also like these variables these outside variables like well okay what's what's our timeline like like again you know the american mm-hmm. model of of high school sports i mean if you don't get this done right now you're not playing in college right so you know there, there's so many factors that you have to put together that i, that I think is is pretty neat so um yeah. so 
Awesome stuff. Oh, hopefully everybody enjoyed that. Uh, Mick, I'd love to end with my high five, five quick questions, five quick answers from you, but it shows a lot about what your brain's thinking and what you're doing next. And I think it's very helpful. So first question, what are you currently working on for yourself, for your own professional development in Con Ed? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm luckily enough to be a, um, a director of an online education business. So I get to review all these wonderful <laughs> online right. marketing classes. So <laughs> next on my list is bone stress injuries of the lower limb. Uh, it's a two hour masterclass by Dr. Stuart Warden, who I think is at the University of Iowa or Indiana, I want to say. Anyway, he's an Australian guy working over in the States and he's a, he's just an absolute wealth of knowledge of bone stress injuries of the lower limb. So yeah, he's our neck. And the next one's Eva Roos, um, who's a prolific researcher about the knee. So yeah, knee osteoarthritis, um, professional education, then also to one of lower limb bone stress injuries. So that by the end of uh, July, I'll have those knocked out. <laughs> I, lo I love it. And, and again, it's, it's, uh, you know, having access to that is amazing. So, um, and yeah. we're, we're going to talk about this at the end and in the show notes, but again, you know, Mick's website for that is learn.physio, right? Learn.physio. Yes. Did I say, yeah, that's, that's a tough URL to get. Good job on that. That's, I'm impressed with that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a story. There's a story I'm watching. share. Well, I'll share it with you listening. Now, but it's a bit of a long winded one. Basically we're giving it to for free. Um, so we got very, very lucky. I'll tell you another story uh, for another time. <laughs> we, in a nutshell, we got that website for free. We're, we're running with it. We're making the most of it. That, that, that's funny. I like the, I like the dot physio, but that, does, you know, in, a, in the United States, people don't get physio. So yeah. for our website, we're champ because we're champion. We're champ.pt. Yep. I had to buy PT. that URL from the country of Portugal. To, uh, that, that, that's, that's, that's how I got that from, because I didn't think people understood physio, but yeah, always funny with those. So awesome. All yeah. right. Second, second question. What's one thing that you've recently changed your mind or even just evolved your thoughts on other than can the ACL heal? Because I think we already talked about that, yeah, but something, yeah, something no. else. Yeah, no, it's definitely part of my big one. Um, look, my, um, definitely from an ACL rehab focus has definitely been a shift of gears to the calf muscle. Um, nice. Certainly I, I was probably a bit more focused on, you know, obviously strengthen the quad, strengthen, strengthen the hardest tissue, mostly hamstrings for us down here in Australia. But then I used to sort of spend a bucket load of time strengthening the hips. And look, I, I still focus on the hips a bit, but the calf muscle is an underrated beast um, and so important for running, jumping, hopping. And the amount of wasting and loss of power through that calf complex and the importance of what it does when you run and jump for the first time is completely understated in, in new, most new grad programs and undergrad training. And, and I didn't really pick up on it, how important it was until the last probably three years. And it's yeah. definitely shifted, shifted my gear and my focus when I rehabilitate ACLs. Yeah. I, I think we were along the same lines with that too. And then you, th you, you look back and you're like, wow, we... Why weren't we focusing on that? Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah. it was probably more that we were just, but we were just so, so focused on other things, but yeah, it's in retrospect, yeah. you're like, yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a big, that's a big uh, muscle group for sure. So, um, yeah. awesome. What is your favorite piece of advice that you like to give students and early career professionals? Yeah. Um, be patient is ultimately more mantra for a lot of things is just slow down, take a breath. Don't try to be, you know, like from a physio perspective, a lot of new grads, I mean, myself, I used to want to, like my first two years, I was convinced I was going to be the head physiotherapist for um, the national sporting code here in Australia, being cricket, not just like baseball, but different. Um, I, I thought I had the skill set to be the Australian head physiotherapist, and I was so far wrong. I was so far off it. And, <laughs> and it's only now 10 years down the track that I just have now grown comfortable in being patient and I encourage all sort of new grads and students that, you know, don't try to, you know, know everything in the first two years, you know, like you, what, what allows you to be a great, great clinician is variety of patients that you see, variety of injuries that you see, different sporting codes that you work with and all that time, all that stuff takes time. Um, so importantly, yeah, be patient and don't expect to be in your dream job, um, in your first five years out, you know, take that time to develop your skill set and, and ultimately enjoy that part of the ride, but ultimately be patient. Love it. Well said. Uh, what's coming up next for you, Mick? Uh, well, man, I've got a busy couple of months. So I've got, <laughs> I've actually been lucky enough to work on a, uh, and co-author a paper, which is being published soon. Uh, so Matt Buckthorpe, uh, who's 
published a lot of great ACL stuff. Um, I've sort of collaborated with him and um, there's another few like Lee Harrington, um, Ali Gokola, uh, Francesco de Villa. There's about five, five guys we've basically all co-authored this paper on. It's coming out soon. Um, early focusing really on that early stages of ACL rehab. So that that's right. coming out the next month or so. That's that's exciting. Um, but yeah, I'm working with some universities here in Australia, doing some education to some undergrads and postgrad students and just really looking forward to learn.physio. It's moving into some pretty cool territory with some hands-on interactive workshops in our Melbourne studios. So yeah, watch this space. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I've checked out some of the stuff at learn.physio and again, top-notch stuff from top-notch people. I mean, you can't mess with that, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's you know, very experienced people sharing that experience and I, I don't think you could ask for anything better so definitely a great resource that, that everybody needs to check out um I, wh- what about you Mick how do we learn more about you that's learn.physio but like you you also have your own online presence and stuff what's the best place for people to learn yeah. more about you yeah look I'm, I'm sort of a bit everywhere I've got my own personal website and um, just a landing page which you know more about me so it's Mick Hughes uh, dot physio, uh, M-I-C-K dot H-U-G-H-E-S dot physio. Um, yep. That's my personal website, but all over Instagram, um, I'm there, um, every day. I've just actually signed up to TikTok. Um, <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. Hey, what do you think? How's that going? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, slow and steady. Uh, once again, Mick, Mick, Mick dot Hughes, I'm on handles everywhere. So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, jump on those social media channels and you'll find me. Awesome. And a, a great yeah. follow, some great uh, evidence-based clinical stuff that, that that's that's the type of people I love to follow. People with experience that understand the research and can talk about how they use that in their own practice. I think that's a, that's a great combination. So Mick, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this and share your knowledge with the audience. I really appreciate it and hope to see you in a future episode. Anytime, Mike. Thanks very much for the opportunity to talk, mate. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to me. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRano.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And also be sure to search for my other podcast, The Ask Mike Reinald Show where my team of physical therapists, strength coaches, and I answer your questions. See you on the next episode.